And those of you that are just tuning in and you're not part of the Elevate family, we're very honored that you would choose to be here with us this morning. Um, So we're doing a series on diversity. And uh, there's a lot of different voices in the world today. And one one of the voices in the world... Um, that the church should have is one of unity. We're supposed to be the most diverse people in the world. We're people from all different backgrounds, all different cultures, nationalities, ethnicities, and yet we're this unique family that uh, is one. The, there's, uh, the language of the Bible is always about unity. And so we're going to talk about that. And I want to contrast the church with kind of the culture of the church and what the church is supposed to be as, a, as, as compared to what the world is. So when the Bible, this is a very common theme here at Elevate, is we talk about culture, right? And so there's three different types of culture that are important to the believer. There's the world's culture, right? I want you to say this. Culture is a system of thinking. That's what the word culture means in the Bible. When the Bible says you're in the world, you're not of the world, and it's speaking of the kingdom of the culture, it uses a Greek word called cosmos, and it means way of thinking. That's why we're in a, we're in a system of thinking in this world, but what the Bible tells us is that we don't think like the world. That's the difference between the believer and the non-believer. So it's like we're in the world, but we're not of it. So there's cosmos, the worldly system of thinking, greed, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, it's all about me, you know, that's the way the world thinks, I use you to get what I want, that's worldly thinking, you know, and kingdom thinking is my job is to bless you, my job is to elevate your life, my job is to help you go higher, and your job is to help me go higher, it's a mutual exchange of benefiting love. That's kingdom culture. But unfortunately, there's another thing called church culture. And so we have world culture, we have church culture, and we have kingdom culture. Which one is the Lord all about? He's all about kingdom culture. Jesus is not interested in world culture at all. He's interested in kingdom culture into the world. And I'll give you another one. He's not interested in church culture. He's not interested in personal preferences and denominational viewpoints and all of the things that go on in churches that are reflective more of personal tastes than they are of kingdom culture, right? So that's the idea. And what we are as this church, what this church really is, is we're a kingdom-centered church and we're a kingdom culture church. So what we try to reflect and what we work to, to reflect in this church is the culture of the kingdom, not the church, not the culture of a denomination, and certainly not the culture of the world. And so when G- the Bible puts up deep contrasts, Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. That's us. Who's the light of the world? Is, is the government the light of the world? No. Is the Kiwanis Club the light of the world? No. The church is the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And we are a city on a hill. And that's the whole point of this message, diversity, is we are a city, but we are a de- diverse city. And we're a city on a hill and we cannot be hidden. We're supposed to be out in front of the world. We're a city within a city. And like a lot of the things and a lot of the narratives that are going on in the world today, the church is saying nothing different than what the church, than what the world is saying. The church's voice into the world is to come from a higher place. The church's reflection to the world is to come from a higher place. When we lower ourselves and we speak what is common and we speak with a common voice of the culture, we're no different. We're no different. We're called higher. We're called to reflect. Divisive language should never be in the church. Ever. It shouldn't exist. You know, um, there's an article that was recently, uh, I was sharing with a friend of mine, there's an article that was recently posted and 
This is one of the times where I could not refrain myself. I couldn't restrain myself from posting. I do my best to not comment on people's uh, things, but the point was it was speaking about white evangelicals. No, and my, my point of the message wasn't that there's an issue. My point, my point with this was that that language shouldn't exist among us. We're not white evangelicals. We're not black evangelicals. We're not Latin evangelicals. We're not Asian evangelicals. We're one in Christ. So you see that? And so when the church adopts a philosophy of sectarianism, are you not carnal? That's 1 Corinthians 3. When you divide and you create sects within the church based upon ethnicities, based upon economic status, based upon who has hair and who doesn't, when you create sects and groups within the church that are divisive, the Bible says that we're carnal. We're carnal. The Bible doesn't even use the word race at all in the Bible. It uses the word race because it's an English translation. But the word in in the Greek is ethnos. And what it means is different. Scripture clearly teaches us that all of us, every human being comes from one bloodline. We come from Adam. Before Christ, we're born by Adam. All of one blood from one common origin. Right? Understand that. So we come from a unified point in, in our creation. But in Christ, we're one blood in him. Our bloodline shifts. We're no longer of the blood of Adam. We're of the blood of the last Adam. And we're unified in Jesus. And so the, one of the things, the power of the church is its reflection of unity among itself. You know, and we, even, even if it's political, this is a hard one too. We have the ability to agree to disagree. You, you get that? We can agree to disagree. You know, and somebody was, I was saying it last week that, you know, people go, well, I don't agree with your political viewpoint. I find it weak, you know, and then I say, well, then you're called to bear with the weak. That's what the Bible tells us among ourselves. If you view someone else as weak, the scripture tells you to bear with them, right? You know, and say, I don't agree with you politically. What? And the story last week was based upon Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. You want to talk about political differences? These guys could not be more politically opposed. Simon Zelotes. Simon was a zealot, which means he was militant. The zealots were called Hasidims, which means they were enlightened in their devotion. So Simon is a zealot who's enlightened in his devotion. They were trained as Sicarii, which is where we get the word. The movie came from that movie. Sicario came from that word, and it means assassin. The word assassin is Hebrew, right? Sicarii. So here you have Simon the zealot. When this, is, this guy's black ops all the way. You have Simon the Zealot, who is a militant, enlightened devotee who's trained as a weapon. The word Sicario means countermeasure. It means weapon. And he's with Matthew, the tax collector. The Zealots would take oaths against anybody who betrayed Judaism. Anybody who betrayed Judaism. Paul took an oath. He was, he was going to go and rage. He was a Hasidim. He wasn't a zealot, but he was part of the Hasidim. He was part of the enlightened devotees. And then you see even with Paul, when Paul himself, they took an oath against him that Paul was going to die. And so here you have Matthew. Matthew was a Jew, a Levite, who was working for Rome. Yet this guy's on this political spectrum. This guy's on this political spectrum. Yet they were united in Christ. Do you think those guys ever agreed on much? If those two were talking politics, they probably didn't agree on a lot. But what they could agree upon was Christ. They could agree upon the mission of the kingdom. I'm not telling you not to have a personal viewpoint. I'm not telling you not to have that. That's not what I'm telling you. But what I am telling you is that you need to sacrifice your personal viewpoint in light of unity. That's what I am telling you. Your personal viewpoint does not trump unity in Christ. 
That doesn't mean we all get along. That doesn't mean we all agree. But what it means is that we can agree to disagree and we can unite on a common front, which is Christ. That again is a witness. That again is a light to the world. I know it's hard because that's not how we're trained, right? That's not how the culture trains us. The culture trains us in polar opposites, black and white, black and white, you know, like this viewpoint, this viewpoint, and you're either on one end of the spectrum. Well, Jesus is it. That's, that's the Simon's Simon, the zealot, his viewpoint was irrelevant to Jesus. Uh, then you have this guy over here. You have uh, Matthew, the tax collector, his viewpoint was irrelevant to Jesus. And I said it before. And again, I know I'm going to step on toes. Everybody say it with me. Jesus is a rock of offense. Say this. If I feel offended, then Jesus is working. You understand that? He's a rock of offense. He offends you in order to change you. The church is not Democrat. The church is not Republican. The church is not libertarian. The church is not independent. The church is kingdom. Kingdom. You say, what's Jesus for? He's for whoever promotes the kingdom. Whatever party is reflecting the aspects of the kingdom, that's what he supports. He's not supporting parties. He's not supporting individuals. He's supporting a purpose. And so if the leader is reflecting the purpose, then heaven will get behind it. God can use a Democrat. God can use a Republican. God can use a Libertarian. They may have different ideologies, but every one of them reflects some, they may reflect some aspect of truth. This is hard to understand because of the way that we think within our culture, but heaven does not think that way. And you as a believer are called to ascertain and arise to the level of the mind of Christ. We're called to think like heaven, not like men or women. We're called to think from his world into ours. So we're cities on a hill, we're lights of the world on a lampstand. And part of that light that shines into the world is the diversity within the church. And yet there's this insane unity. The word koinonia is bonded fellowship. We are bonded together almost inseparably. That makes sense to you? Am I talking too fast? No, I'm doing good. <laughs> My translator, sometimes I like leave her in the dust. I'm like blowing past her. But she does a good job. So city on a hill. We are kingdom within a kingdom. We are to live and reflect something different than the everyday world. We're a supernatural people empowered by a supernatural God. That's what we are. What separates the church from every other organization or entity in the earth is the power. Without power, we are nothing. Zero. Zero. We're the Kiwanis Club. Well, we feed the poor. So does everybody else. There's plenty of organizations that feed the poor. The church needs to do what others cannot. And what others cannot is found in power. Our power is what what differentiates us from everything else. The word justice. So we're a people called by God and we're called unto a kingdom. Then we're put in a kingdom to bring forth a kingdom. That's the understanding. You got that? We're called unto the kingdom and then we're put in a kingdom and then we're called to bring forth the kingdom. That is the role of the church. The role of the church isn't to massage each other's feet. The role of the church isn't to make sure that the, the temperature is 73 degrees and everybody's comfortable. That's not the role of the church. The role of the church is to transform a people into a unified body that brings forth the kingdom. Jesus preached the kingdom of heaven. That was his constant language. Constant. Constant. The Bible says this gospel will be preached into all the world and the end shall come. We love to say that, but that's not what it says. This gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world. 
The kingdom gospel must be proclaimed in all the world. That is the dominion of God ruling and reigning into every aspect of your life. The kingdom and the dominion of God ruling and reigning into every aspect of society. That's what the kingdom means. You understand that? Salvation is just the beginning. People need to come to Christ. Yeah, but yet you just walk through the door. Now you're called into the mansion of heaven. Now you're called into the mansion of a realm and a kingdom. We're called to reflect the kingdom of God. So we come, our kingdom, the kingdom of heaven centers on a person whose name is Jesus. You understand that? Who sits upon a throne whose name is grace. We come boldly before the throne of grace. We come unto Christ boldly to the throne of grace. Grace is, say it with me. You want to know what grace is? We, we neuter these words. We dumb these words down. And I think because if we actually speak the full expanse of the word that God has given, it puts a responsibility on us that we don't want. You know what grace means? God's riches at Christ's expense. Yep, you can say that, but I'll give you the meaning and the depth of what it means. It means spiritual power moving in love. That's grace. Understand that? By grace, we're saved. Exactly. What does that mean? Spiritual power moving in love. When you got born again, something happened, didn't it? Do you know why? It was the release of spiritual power moving in love. So when we come before the throne of grace, that's the place where spiritual power moves in love. And we're to be a people through which spiritual power moves in love. This isn't carnal actions. If you remove the Holy Spirit from the equation, you have nothing. Nothing. Zero. Spirit of God is everything. It is to your benefit that I go. Did Jesus say that? Jesus was handy, right? Need to pay some bills? No problem. Go down to the river. Fish has got coin in there, you know. Rent's paid. Need some food? What do we got? Uh, we got some fish and chips. Cool. Let's multiply that and give it to everybody. He's pretty handy. Need a miracle? He's your guy. And Jesus said, but as much as I'm beneficial to you, the spirit of God is greater than I. Because I am, because in Christ, when he came down, he put himself in, he, he intentionally restricted himself. But now when he, re, when he ascended, he released the spirit who brings the fullness of the kingdom. That's the point. And we're a supernatural people. We, we come before a throne, the center of our kingdom and the center of who we are centers on Christ and the center of his power centers on grace. And that throne sits upon two other things, righteousness and justice. So if you want to know what the purpose of the church is, it's found in that almost that it's, it's, there's a simplified version of what we are. We're unified in Christ, sons and daughters called unto a kingdom who's personified in a person called Jesus, whose power flows in love, right? In spirit and in love and whose foundation is righteousness and justice. That's what we are. What's righteousness? So what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to receive spiritual power and love. We're supposed to help establish the kingdom of heaven in the earth. What? How do we do that? By doing the things that Jesus asked us to do. One of the ways we establish the throne in the earth is by bringing forth righteousness and justice. How? Spiritual power moving in love. What is right to God? That's righteousness. It's not what's voted on. It's what is right to God. It's important. It's important. In in this current generation particularly among the church where the message is so watered down, there's barely anything palatable in the gospel at all. It's so watered down. We don't use the word sin. We don't use the word righteousness. We don't use the word judgment. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. We don't want to do that. You know, and we're in this world to bring forth God's kingdom and we establish this kingdom through righteousness. This culture believes that if it got voted on, then it's right to God. Who told you that? 
They believe that if it's legal, it must be right to God. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's righteous. Uh Uh-huh. You understand that? Mankind does not have the right to establish what is right or wrong. That is not our job. I don't get to vote and say what's right. I don't get to vote and say what's wrong. God holds righteousness. The word righteousness means what is right to God. I can't tell somebody they're saved. Jesus can. I can't say this is right. Jesus can. And so we have to understand this, that what we're called to do is come unto God and begin to conform our lives unto what is right. This is very hard. I want you to know this. You know what it costs you? I'm going to tell you what it costs you. It costs you you. This again harmonizes the gospel, doesn't it? You you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Isn't that what he said? Right? That harmonizes the gospel. In order for us to reflect what Jesus wants, that means we have to sacrifice what we want. If a man will lose his life for my sake, they will find it. Doesn't it? Now, all of a sudden, this stuff starts making sense. Oh, is that what it's supposed to be? Yes, exactly. My role in this world is to bring forth what is right to God, not what is right to me. Just a thought. Then we're supposed to establish justice. That's what we do. We reflect justice. Not world justice, but kingdom justice. What's that look like? Say this with me. So I want you to say this. Righteousness is what is right to God. Say that. Now I want you to say justice is the right use of power. That's what justice means. So injustice is the wrong use of power. Justice is the right use of power. Do we understand this? We talk about justice, but we can't define it. Justice! Talk about righteousness, but we can't define it. We need to define it before we can actually do it. It's justice as God sees it, and it's the right use of power. What's happening in our world, there is an injustice. I don't care what the guy did. You shouldn't stand on his neck for eight minutes. He's on meth or whatever he's on. It doesn't matter. I don't care if he, what he did. That's not how you treat someone. Yet, ready? Hold the phone. Yet at the same time, neither is it just to burn someone's building or business to the ground. You understand? There's injustice down both lanes. That, that is a complete travesty. But we cannot justify what is unjust. We can't say, well, they've got a right to protest. Yeah, absolutely, they've got a right to protest. The right is called peaceable assembly, not burn and loot. Understand? So if we're going to talk about justice, and I think we should, the church should have be in the conversation, and we should be printing forth the justice of God. But we need to speak down both lanes. There's systemic and societal justice. All say this with me. I'm going to help you all this morning. All systemic and societal injustice is rooted in sin. I said it, didn't I? I said the word, S-I-N, sin. I'm going to use another one that's controversial. Repentance. Pastors don't use sin, they don't use repentance. I tell the believer, if you go to another church and you never hear the word sin, and you never hear the word repentance, that's a problem. That's a problem. If you don't hear sin, righteousness, and if you don't hear sin, righteousness, and judgment, that's a problem. You know what the Holy Spirit ministers to the unbeliever based on? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So if we're not proclaiming sin, righteousness, and judgment, our ability to reach the lost is zero. Zero. And so when we're not being faithful to minister the Spirit of God into the culture. Say it again. Jesus is a rock of offense. (laughs) If I'm offended, Jesus is working. That's right. Power is given to propagate the kingdom. Our power. We're given power. Can I get a witness? Right? 
So as we're given power, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to operate with that power in righteousness, the right use of power. So we have been given power. Our power is not just a positional authority as sons and daughters. Our power is a spiritual authority and a spiritual activation ability. That's what we have. And our power is to be used rightly. Rightly. We are to use our power. I'll give you one. It's going to get quiet. You've been given power to do what? To be his witness. When you don't witness, you are operating with power unjustly. You are not using your power correctly. I told you it's going to get quiet. (gasps) You've been given power to be a witness. And your power is supposed to be used in justice. You're supposed to use it correctly. Which means you're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Which means you're supposed to invite people at the minimum to come to church where they can hear the gospel. All of us are. People around you that are unbelievers say, I don't know how to do it. Start asking the Lord. How do I do it? How do I do it? What do I do? Women's event. There's a great opportunity, ladies. Bring that person. There's going to be prayer in the women's event. They pray every time. There'll be be encounter. People will encounter God in that women's event. They want to come to church. Go grab the woman. We're doing a men's group. We're starting the men's ministry. Bring them there. Lots of opportunities. You know, I'm not Billy Graham. I can't give an altar call. You don't have to. You can invite, but you've been given power to do it. It's going to get even more quiet. We've been given power to lay hands on the sick. I don't like what you're saying. I'm trying to free you. We are called to lay hands on the sick. We are. I'll give it to you. Emphatic imperative. Structured in the Greek is a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus says, you heal the sick. You raise the dead. You cleanse lepers. He didn't say, if you think about it, if you feel like it. He said, I don't know what I'm doing. That's a different... That's a different question rather than I'm not going to do it. Not knowing is different than I'm not going to. You understand? If you don't know, we'll teach you. We'll help you. We love it. We're all in on spiritual power here. We'll coach you. We'll develop you. You want to share your faith? We'll coach you. We'll develop you with that too. We'll help you. Just because you don't know how to do it, that's not against you. What is against you is an unwillingness to do it. Willing heart is all Jesus is looking for. Always looking for. He just wants somebody to be willing. Is anybody willing? Is anybody willing? I'll go. I'll do it. <laughs> Come on. I got one over here. Got one willing. We're all willing. Many problems in the world. Whether say this with me. Whether people. Oh, you're gonna like this one. Whether people. There are problems. <laughs> Where people are, there are problems. The systems in the, of our society, the systems of our government, the systems of our society, all of these things are bound with injustice and unrighteousness. There's everywhere because people are there. And because people are unredeemed in their heart, their hearts are not changed. Their hearts by nature, man's sinful heart is always selfish. And selfish hearts always bring destruction. Even Christians. The only way you're born again, saved to the spirit, but the only way you can get outside of your selfish heart on a day-to-day basis is to get in the spirit. Get in the spirit. Every morning, morning by morning, you just let the spirit of God come upon you. Let your heart be free. You'll drive down the expressway. You won't be flipping people off. Try it sometime. Seriously. You think I'm kidding. <laughs> Try it without him. With me. Without me. With me. Without me. Yeah. Go to work three days this week and don't pray, don't intercede, don't let the Spirit of God come on you at all and see the kind of person you are. 
Then take a couple of days this week and just get in the anointing. Just take 10 minutes, get some worship in you. Let the love of God begin to flow in you and fill your heart. Let the anointing come over you and then, then go your way and tell me it's not different. You'll be letting people in on the freeway. The guy behind you will be cussing you out. That's how we are. The love of God is what transforms us. And it's only possible in the spirit. I just, I'll share with you my world because I come from church culture. I was trained and equipped and church culture. And I'll tell you the things that they never told me. They used to tell me to do all these things. And I'd be like, but I'm trying. I just can't. I just can't. Anybody with me? Come on. Yeah, come on. This is the honesty section over here. How about you guys? Anybody with me? You try and you can't. Love your neighbor. You try and you can't. You can't. But when you're in the spirit, you can. Let's make it even, let's bring it even more home. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. There's one. You can't. Anybody try that? How are we doing? How are we doing? Any husbands want to stand up here and tell, testify? You're, if your wife's here, we're going to bring her too. She's going to witness whether this is true or not. In yourself, you don't have the ability. In the spirit, you do. Honor your husband. Oh, here it goes. And be yielded to him and submissive to him. Now, this is a whole context. I'm going to dig myself a hole without having the time to explain it. But honor your husband. Put him in a place of honor. Even to the degree as Sarah called Abraham Lord. Honor him and esteem him in such a way. Support him. Get behind him. He's not worthy of support. Get in the spirit and you'll see you can do that. You can't do it. Listen, nobody's worthy of honor. None of us are. There's only one that's worthy of honor, and it's Jesus. But he tells us to do these things. Say this with me. This is going to help you too. Jesus always calls me to do the impossible so that I can see and understand my limitations. His intention is to show you how limited you are in order for you to cry out and begin to operate in the provision that he has. He, the only one that's frustrated with limitations is you. You have the unlimited God in your heart. You have the well of the spirit in your heart. You have it. You just aren't dropping the bucket. You're not drawn from the well. That's the issue. And so we could, this is again, this is Galatians, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who has deceived you? Having begun in the spirit, do you actually think you can do this, this faith in the, in the flesh? Spirit filled church that went away from it and got into doctrine Got really heavy. I'm all in on doctrine, but they got into doctrine. There's no miracles. Who told you that? Well, we just think that's the way it is. Well, Paul's like, that's wrong. Foolish Galatians. Who told you this? Foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? You began in this faith in the power of the spirit and no understanding this thing, but somehow you put the Holy Spirit in a corner and now you're trying to do this on your own. You think you can do it? Anybody here? Anybody think they can do it? No, no. No. And you know what happens? We get condemned and we start condemning our heart. And then we hear the voice of the devil condemning us all the more. You can't, you call yourself a Christian. You took that handicapped spot from that elderly woman. What did you, what you did? And you're like, hey, right. I'm such a loser. I'm sorry, Jesus. I failed. So true. We condemn ourselves for the very thing that we have no ability to do. You don't have the ability to love. You don't, you don't have the ability to forgive. Oh, this is a real good one. <laughs> Oh, I've forgiven him. Yeah, that's fine. If you, the willfulness of forgiveness is what releases you. But it's the forgiveness of the heart. You can't do that, right? God doesn't condemn you because you've been hurt. He only can, the, the forgiveness remains when we don't will. It. Willfulness is what heaven expects. Just be willing. 
but the pain is there in the flesh. But when you get in the spirit, it's fine. Some of you, you hear a song and you rem- and that reminds you of a painful memory of a, of a broken relationship. You smell a cologne, a perfume, you know, you, you, you get around certain things and just the, 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 the knife is there, right? The hurt is there. Someone says something to you and it triggers a pain from the past and you react. That's the flesh. In the spirit, nothing seems to bother you. The problem is, is that we can't get in the spirit enough, you know? You ever do this one? This is my favorite. We're talking spiritual things here this morning. I'm, 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 I'm going to give full disclosure. The Lord is talking to me. Get in the spirit, Kevin. And my flesh is like, no, I don't want to get in the spirit. Oh, come on. You guys are looking at me like, man, this guy needs help. We need to pray for this dude. This dude's teaching us the Bible. Really? Really? That's right. Like you want to get in the spirit and nothing in you wants to do that. Nothing does. You, want, you, you feel the compulsion to pray, but you're like, no. Feel the compulsion to read the word. No. Feel the compulsion to come to a gathering. No. And then when you get here, you're like, why, what was my problem? You know, then when you worship and you let the spirit of God move on you, you're like, why was I, why was that so hard for me? Because your flesh resists it. Doesn't want it. No law can change a man's heart. No matter what we do on a legal system, no matter what we do, and I think we should have laws that protect people, but no law can change someone's heart. Matthew 6 says this, if your eye is bad, then your whole body is full of darkness. In other words, your eye reflects your heart and your heart reflects what's in you. That's what he's saying. How great is the darkness? How we see is a reflection of the heart. The heart is a reflection of what is in us. The system and societal problems are rooted in sin. It's wickedness within the heart. The evidence of, the evidence of man's sin is his self-consumption. So you know. The fact that we're so self-conceived, we're, we want everything for us, everything is about us, narcissistic viewpoints, all of these things, all that does is testify of ourselves. It gets really deep. Well, I believe God's like this and I believe God's like that or I don't believe there is a God. That's how deep our narcissism is. We actually think that we get to define God. This is how blinding our sin is to us. You know, we're so blinded in sin that we actually think that we have the power to say whether God exists or not. I mean, how stupid is that? You, we don't have that power, but yet that's what happens. We're narcissistic and selfish in our thinking. And it, it reflects out through our actions. And that's where this injustice comes from. That's where war comes from. That's where all of these things, all of these things that happen come from that. We're created on purpose with a purpose. And we're a family. And there's many things the Bible calls us, right? Always affirming. You want a good name? You know, everybody in the world wants to call you names. Jesus is calling you names and he's calling you really good ones. Daughter, overcomer, victorious, you know, I mean, son of priests, holy nation. I mean, all the words that Jesus has for us are just affirming words. Never does he call us a bad word. You know that he never has a bad thought towards you. He never has a bad idea, no matter what you did. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. Even Peter sank in the water. He didn't, he didn't correct him. He said, little faith, good job. Good job, little faith. Look what little faith can do, Peter. Just imagine, Peter, if you had big faith. You probably wouldn't even walk on the water. You could probably hover over it. It was not a condemnation. It was a coming, he was commending him. Little faith, good job. What he, should have, he, he, what he could have done, if he was really being negative, he could have looked at the other 11 in the boat and he could have went, no faith, you know? Little faith, but no faith. <laughs> Nobody else got out of the boat, did they? They all sat there. And they were probably yelling at him the whole time. Peter, what are you doing? Peter, you can't do that. Peter, you're making us look bad, Peter. 
don't actually live in faith. You make us, the rest of us who are faithless, look bad. (laughs) We're many things, but we're peacemakers. Did you know that? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they are the what? Sons and daughters of God. We're sons and daughters. And the way that we reflect our son and daughtership is through peacemaking. Now, what's peacemaking? Well, I think peacemaking is getting everybody into a lotus position and Zen, Zen style, and we all start humming and chanting. That's how we make peace. That's not the Bible's way of making peace. It doesn't even come close. The Bible talks about peace being an experience. This is true, but it's also a reality. It's also something that we bring forth. In the book of James, I'll just read it for you. And this is where we're going to kind of go. And I'm going to give you a... I'll, I'll tell you where we're going. So who is wise among you? Let him show good by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitterness, envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boost and lie against the tr- against the truth for envy, jealousy, self-seeking descends from above or d- does not send it descend from above, but is earthly, sensual and demonic for where envy and self-seeking is, there's confusion in every evil thing. You want to know where evil, every evil thing comes from. If you look around the world and you think, where's every evil thing? The Bible tells us where it comes from. Envy, jealousy, self-seeking. Where evil comes from, it comes somewhere in the midst of everything that's going on, there's an envy, there's a jealousy, or there's somebody seeking self-interest somewhere in that equation. If there's evil, that's where it is. And wherever that is, confusion is there too. But here's the call. But the, but, but the wisdom of God is from above. That's what we're supposed to do. It's first pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisies. And this is where we're going. Peace, say it with me. Peacemakers plant the seeds of peace and they will harvest justice. Understand that? We're the ones who sow the seeds of peace. If you think the world's going to sow the seeds of peace, you're absolutely crazy. Not going to happen. We're not. And so what James gives us in this passage is he not only tells us that we're peacemakers and we're supposed to sow seeds of peace. He gives us six seeds. He actually just mentioned six seeds here. So let's talk about peacemaking first. Word peacemaking, what the word peace means in Hebrew is it means to rise and flourish. Ready for this? You're going to like this. This is beautiful. So when Jesus says, peace unto you, my peace I leave with you. The word shalom is is the image is a river that rises, overfloods overfloods its banks and brings life to everything it touches. So when God releases peace to you, the peace of God in our lives isn't just this emotional, neutral state that we arrive at. The peace of God is when the river of God is flowing in our life, over flooding our banks, and we are rising and prospering. That's what it means. Rise and succeed. Peace to you. Rise and succeed. Let the river of God flow into your life. Let it overflow the banks of your life. And may your life rise and succeed. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to make that, make peace. We're supposed to bring forth the the river of God that overflows its banks and begins to cause prosperity and wholeness, not just in our own lives. It's to us, then it's unto the church, and then it's unto the world. This This is how God has structured it. God is it's first to you. It's from him to you, from you to your brothers and sisters, from your brothers and sisters unto the world. It also, in the Greek, in the Greek, it's the word irene, and it means to, uh, to make whole. And the Greek uses a different, different language. It's the weaving of fabric. And so in the, in the Hebrew, it's a river that's overflowing and causing life. And in the Greek, it means to weave threads within the fabric. Does that make a picture for you? We are to, re- we are to weave the threads of the, fab- of, the, of the kingdom within the fabric of a society. 
We're to weave the threads of the kingdom within the culture of the church. We're to weave the threads of the kingdom within the, within the culture of the world. And we're to weave the fabrics or the threads of the kingdom within all aspects of life. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what it means to be a peacemaker. That's what it means. That, and we're not only supposed to have the peace of God in our life, but we're supposed to so that, that in relationship to each other, it means that my intentionality to you is to see you prosper. Every time I look at you, my, my, I look at Mimi and I say, what can I do to bless and honor Mimi? Do I have a word of kindness? Do I have a word of encouragement? Do I have something? I, is, there, is there anything in me that I can do that will help her life rise and flourish? And unbeknownst to me, and I was like, that, that's your, supposed to be your attitude, not just towards me, but towards each other. You understand that? It's a selfless expression of what we have. We want to help you. What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? No, pastor, what can I do to help you? You know, we're supposed to compete with each other in servitude. We're supposed to compete with each other in releasing honor. This is exactly how the Lord operates. I don't know if you're aware of this. When we honor him, he doubles back. Did you know that? You ever had that happen? You honor him and down comes double. You can't outgive him. You worship and honor him, then he worships and honors you. You bless him, he blesses you. That's why when we worship him, you come into worship and you're worshiping him. Where is the presence coming from? It is the honor of God coming upon you. It is the validation of God coming upon you. Your heart is rising within you. Your heart is expressing unto him and he is releasing back to you. You can't outgive him. It's the mutuality of the kingdom. That's the whole concert of the, of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're in concert with themselves. If you read how the Trinity is structured, the Father serves the Son. The Son serves the Spirit. The Spirit serves the Son. The, Father, the Son serves the Father. It's this cycle of interactive servitude one to the other. That is the harmony of the Godhead. That is supposed to be the harmony of the believer. The father isn't seeking his own. He's seeking the honor of the son. The son is not seeking his honor. He's seeking the honor of the spirit. The spirit is not seeking his honor. He's seeking the honor of the father. You get how that works? Not one father, son, or spirit are all seeking glory unto themselves. They're all trying to honor each other. It's this constant cycle of honor. It's unlike anything in the universe. And what sin does, so you can see the darkness of sin, sin causes the universe to collapse upon you. You think, you actually think you're the center of the world. Right? I'm all in on be, I'm all in on living like a rock star. I'm all in on that. But we live like a rock star to help other people, right? We live like a rock star to be a benefit to other people. And then you're a rock star to be a benefit to me, and I'm a rock star to be a benefit to you. And we're and we're each rock stars to be benefit to each other. But what we do is we walk around and we th- we just looking around all the time thinking everything's about us. We don't I don't look at Carmen a, a worldly attitude wouldn't be what can I do for Carmen? A worldly attitude would go, ah, there's no value in this relationship. Or what can Carmen do for me? We either dismiss people because they can do nothing for us. Or we look at them as some source of prey that can merely benefit us with no thought of what we can do for the other person. That's world culture. Some of you work in environments like that, right? Right? Everybody's trying to get, well, by the way, we have another person up for a promotion. Natalie told me she's up for a promotion. So if, the, if her, if she and Jody get promotions, that would be four people that have been promoted in this church in the midst of this. You don't think God's a good God. You don't think he's a blessing God. You don't think when you activate his promises, he doesn't release it. Come on. We're so seeds of peace. So I'm going to roll. What are these, pe- what are these seeds? These, okay, so the word sow, we need to talk about that. So this is what peace looks like, rise and flourish, weaving threads. Pe- the word sow means to cast the hand. 
That's, that's literally what it means. So we cast forth the hand. What do we cast forth? We cast forth. This is, this is all the word. There's word language. I'll have to teach you guys. Like when you do biblical studies, they give you like things. And then there'll be like word pictures of what it's talking about. And one of the word pictures for casting forth the hand is to manifest. Cast forth the hand to manifest the spirit. Cast forth the hand to bring construction. Cast forth the hand to burn, bring the turning of the foot. Causing people's lives to change. Cast forth the hand to bring about a greater good. So like this morning, we're casting forth what? Seeds of the kingdom. To do what? To manifest the spirit. To do what? To cause the turning of the foot. To do what? To, to cause a greater result. Casting forth the seed to do what? To bring instruction. So when we're casting forth the seeds of peace, these are our intentions. What's the first seed? It's purity. It just means, it just means honesty within the heart. Get it? On, you're, just, you're just honest within your heart. Your, your intentions are pure. You mean well. There's no guile in you. Jesus said, what did he say to Nathaniel? You are, here's an Israelite in whom there's no guile. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see the Lord, right? That's what it means. The seed that we sow is purity. Purity. It's a vulnerability. It's an honesty, right? This is, this again, this rubs right up against church culture. So if you look at the kingdom culture and you look at the church culture, the church does not reflect this. Not this church. This church does, Right? This, 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 this church is there, but if you look at the church as a whole, that's the last thing we are, is honest and vulnerable with each other. We're honest and vulnerable here. I mean, we all like, you know, we, we all like, oh, that's my underwear hanging on the line over there. Oh yeah, did you see my underwear hanging on the line over here? I mean, we're honest to the place of fault, not because so that we judge each other, but we, we, we encourage each other. That's, that's the point. But the church does, has an issue with honesty because we think if we're honest and pure about what we are, where we are, or how we are, that we're going to be rejected. And so the honesty and the purity of our relationships with each other are in this stout religious context all the time. We're not real people. We're almost robotic. Getting quiet in here. But as believers, what God is calling us for is an honesty amongst ourselves. It's an honesty with an acceptance. You get that? Well, I'm broken. That's great. So, so was I. Let me help you in, my, in your brokenness. Or let me find someone else that has that brokenness that God has brought victory to. So let me, again, there's that mutual benefit. You get that? It's a mutual beneficialness to, to one another. We're sow the seeds like that. What's that look like in the world? Man, I'm broken, but Jesus is working on me. You know? That's what it looks like. It's a testimony of Jesus. Say, so nobody loves you. Jesus loves me. It's all that matters. Always. <laughs> my cat was mad this morning. I didn't think she loved me anymore because I didn't give her any food. But then she loved me. So I always say my cat sometimes loves me, but Jesus always loves me. The second seed is peaceability. Peaceability. And it means this. It's the same idea. Same, same idea as shalom. Peaceability means things that cause the river of Jesus to flourish in your personal life and the life of others and in the world. It's, it's the creation of the common good. That's what it means. In the world, we're to create common good. We're to bring glory to God and create the common good. What is the common good? It means something that everyone can benefit from. We create this church. Why? Because it's something that everyone can benefit from. We create small groups. Why? Because it's something that everyone can benefit from. We create all the aspects of this. That's what the church is doing, is operating in the aspect of creating the common good. A common good for all people. Common good for the city. All of these things are all working together. And we're supposed to sow the seeds of that. What can you do in the life of another person to encourage them? Like if you're in a workplace, how do I sow the seed of, pers- uh, of peaceability? Listen, man, you get people from all different walks of life, right? If you're in a corporate environment, you get people that are all over the place. 
<laughs> I was known as the, the, I don't even know what they called me, but I was a Christian when I worked. And, and so they would all get around me and they'd see, and they start cussing, you know, and they go, Oh, sorry, Kevin. You know what I mean? And it was like, but what happened was, is that because of that, they would oftentimes come and share their problems with me that they wouldn't share with anybody else because they knew I was a believer. And the unbeliever actually thinks, I don't know if you know this, they actually thinks that you have an answer. They do. The broken people, when they see the Christian, they actually think, well, you're close to God. You must know something about this. And your answer can simply be, listen, I don't know, but Jesus does, and I can pray for you. You can sow seeds of peace. You can sow seeds of encouragement. You can ask the Lord. If somebody's down, this is this and Say this with me. Encouragement is oxygen to the soul. You want to breathe life into people? Encourage them. You go through all, you see somebody that's discouraged or somebody that's down or somebody's dealing with something. You say, Lord, how do you see them? You just ask God for a word for them and you just come up to them and say, look, I just feel like, you know, you're going through something, but I want you to let, I just want to let you know it's going to go. Whatever you're going through, I just want to let you know. I feel like the Lord is telling me that it's going to be okay. I feel like he's going to turn it around. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I just feel like the Lord's going to turn it around. And they might go, well, thank you very much. But then if nine times out of 10, they're going to say, thank you. Nine times out of 10, you're going to breathe life in the person. Don't worry about the one person or the two people that don't want it. Worry about the eight people that do or concern yourself or give yourself to the eight people that do. Just because two people reject you, who cares? If we could bat a thousand, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Like if everybody we talked to was like, wow, that was like gold dripping off your lips. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. That would be great. But unfortunately, that's not the case. But you want to sow seeds of peace in the culture of the world? It's encouragement. You don't have to work, walk in your workplace with this monster 15 pound Bible. You know what I'm saying? This is what we think being a, being a, um, being a witness is come into work with a wheelbarrow and a Bible behind it. Yeah, that's right. I'm a Christian. You see my Bible here. You see that it doesn't matter sitting the Bible strategically on your desk. If you do that, that's fine. I'm not condemning that. I'm condemning. I'm not even condemning anything, but if you set your Bible out there, then make sure you do something, make sure you minister love, make sure that that's what you're known for. And that you're able to look at a person that's relational to you so that you can sow seeds of peace. I'm all in on putting the Bible. I don't want to be that way. But, we, but what I'm contrasting that with is, that they, is, the, is the limited attitude or the limited thinking that that's everything. Putting the Bible on my desk, I'm a witness. No, you're not. You really aren't. Loving that person, you're a witness. Praying for that person, you're a witness. Encouraging that person, you're a witness. Inviting that person, you're a witness. That's when you're operating in power. And if you don't know how, ask God to do it. Show me. I'll give you a real simple answer. Real easy. You know how quickly God wants to tell people how he sees them? You just look at him, get in the spirit and you say, Lord, how do you see that person? He will tell you immediately. Tell you immediately. I see that person with love. I see that person is moving. I see that person right now. She's hurting. And right now I feel like I want to care for her. You'll, you'll start reading the things of the spirit. It's called discernment. Can I get a witness? It's called spiritual discernment. Every spirit, every, every Christian has it. And God's always got something good to say. Always. Reasonability. So the third one is gentleness. It's the word epikes. And it means upon with importance. So when the Bible tells us to be gentle, it's using this word. It's using this Greek word epikes. And it means to understand what is important. But here's the bigger meaning. It means to place importance upon another person. <laughs> Every single thing in the scripture points away from you. Every single thing. Yet, our modern culture in churches, we point the finger back at us. And we wonder why Christians are narcissistic and selfish. Because that's what we teach them to be. 
You're teaching them to be narcissistic and selfish. I'm all in on blessing and prosperity. I'm all in on your best life now. I'm all in on that. But to what end? To bring glory to Jesus and benefit other people. That's, that's the point. And so epicase, and it means that we have gentleness. We sow seeds of gentleness. That's again, that's something you can do is put value on another person. You see somebody who's down or you see somebody who's being taken advantage of, you can, you can speak life to that person. You can say, hold on a second. Stop speaking about them that way. That person has honor. That's a human being we're talking about here. Yeah, but you don't know all the stuff they do. Yeah, I'm sure they do that and more. But this, this person has honor. That's what it means. Epicase, to put value or to put importance on. That's a seed we can sow. Another seed is reasonability, which is equity and fairness. Equity, equal treatment. That's what it means. Equal value, equal opportunity, equal willingness to learn from others. And it's a respect for an opposing point of view. What? So rather than arguing, why don't you say, you know what? I respect your point of view. I feel like you have some value in what you're saying. And I want to honor you as a person. Unfortunately, I can't agree with everything you're saying. That's a whole lot different than going into a contentious argument. And you're sowing a different type of seed. Now, for the record, full disclosure, I don't always do this. You know, I don't always do this, but I know I'm called to do it. And I realize when I don't, and then I try to back it up and start doing differently. You say, why are you telling that to us? Because you don't always do it. That's why I'm telling you. You get it? We're supposed to be that way. We're supposed to operate with fairness. We're to bring fairness into an unfair world. We're to speak up and try to bring some level of equity in a world that has a lot of inequity. This is beautiful. Ezekiel chapter three. This is a great story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but what happened was, is this is, this is, this will, this will help some of you. God's people were disobedient to him for a long period of time. And because they were disobedient to him, they had been removed from the land. God said, if you disobey me, and this was 150 years in the making. So it took them 150 years to actually get kicked out. That's a long eviction. I don't know. You know, that's a lot of patience on behalf of the Lord. And so 150 years, they were removed. They go to Babylon. Right? So the point with this is understanding other people. They go to Babylon and God sends them away to Babylon. They're not under captivity. And God sees his people in captivity. He sees them in the despair, ready, of their own actions. They're in the despair and the consequences of their own actions. And God looks at them and he looks at his prophet Ezekiel and he says, go and speak to the captives that are by the river. I have a word for them. Right? So are you in the despair of your own actions? Are you in the despair of circumstances? I got good news. Jesus has a word for you. He always has something for you. And God had a word of encouragement to them. And, but this is what's important. Before Ezekiel spoke to them, it says this. I came to the captives who were at Tel, Tel Aviv. And they dwelt by the river Kabar. This is in Babylon. And I sat where they sat. I sat where they sat. God never told him to do this. He did this on his own. And I was astonished for seven days. So Ezekiel said, I sat and observed their point of view for seven days. Before I ever opened my mouth, I tried to understand what they were going through. Before I ever opened my mouth, I tried to understand where they were coming from. That's what he did. I tried to understand what was going on. And then he spoke. What's a really crazy story is they had lost their song. They weren't singing anymore. The Bible says, and the prophet said that they had hung the harp upon the tree. They were not singing the songs of Zion anymore. But after Ezekiel started speaking to them, they started singing again. And there's another thing. The word of the Lord will get your song back, man. You want your song back? You need a word from the Lord and he'll give you your song back. He'll give you what you hung on the tree. He'll give it back to you. 
But the important thing here is to sit where people sit. The, the fifth seed is mercy. Spiritual power moving in love. You know what this means also? This word mercy is related to the word grace. These two words are, 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 are synonymous. And what, this, what the context of this is, is it's not just spiritual power moving in love. You know what it means? It means done out of covenant. Which means you help people not because you feel like it. You help people because God wants them to be helped. I mean, it doesn't mean you help everybody. Some, anybody ever feel like helping people that you know you're supposed to help? You ever been in that situation? We're, you know, like there's times that we're like, like uh, to all the empathy people in the room, I want to help you out. Learn to say no. So if you're really empathetic and all you do is say yes, that's not God's will for you either. What is God's will is when God says, do that and you do it. That's what God's will is. And if you have high empathy, what you should learn, you should practice and learn discernment. Empathy is a, is a powerful gift. But what you need to do is you need to refine that gift and turn it into a strength and begin to discern with your empathy. Lord, do you want me to do something here? Empathy are your feelers. Any feelers in the room? Yeah, your feelers. You feel how people are feeling without them saying a word. You feel deep compassion and deep whatever. But just because you feel doesn't mean you're supposed to. Don't you say, I want all the empathy people to say this with me. Just because I feel doesn't mean I must do. Let's say it again. This is good for you. Just because I feel doesn't mean I must do. I'm going to give you another one. I must learn. To own my no. Right. Just because you feel doesn't mean you must do. Your feeling might be, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? I'm feeling this this person. What do you want me to do? And don't listen to your emotions. Listen to the spirit. He may say to you, I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to understand where that person's coming from. That's it. That's it. I want you to understand in order to do what? I don't want you to do any actions. I want you to pray for them. I don't want you to do any actions. I want you to do this. Learn to operate that gift, because what you have, empathy, is a gift. You're born with it. You can't, anybody that has empathy here, high empathy, you can't get rid of it, right? You're like, I wish I could just get rid of this, but you can't, because it's woven into the person that you are. And if it's woven into the person that you are, then you must learn to operate in it as a strength. And how do you do that? You couple it with the spirit. Partner with the one who gave it to you. He gave it to you. He knows what he's doing. Learn. And then when you say no, you're going to feel that too. Oh, I feel so bad. I said no. Oh, oh, I feel so bad. I said no. Don't feel bad if the Holy Spirit tells you no. You know what he's going to do? Some of you all are going to start practicing that. And he's going to start telling you no until you learn to say no. Lord, you want me to help? No. Then why am I feeling this way? I just want you to be aware. This will happen probably the next 50 times. No, 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 no. Why? Because he's training you in no. You know how to say yes. Huh? Can I get a witness? Empathy people know how to say yes. You don't know how to say no. And so when you start partnering with the Holy Spirit, you need to realize he's going to start training you in no. No. No, not for the sake of no. But it, the important thing here is not no or yes. The important thing here is listen to the Holy Spirit. That's the most important thing. Mercy and grace, right? So we're going to, leave, we're going to finish up with the sixth one, which is impartiality and, sin, and sincerity. Some of you guys are going to like this one. It's the Greek word, ane, ane, I've got to say this. You're going to say it with me. Right? You say with me. There you go. Anipakrekos. Anipakrekos. Right? I want to go to a Greek restaurant. Can I get some of that Anipakrekos, please? Sorry, what's that? Anipakrekos, isn't it? You know, you know what it means? Not a hypocrite. Ha <laughs> ha. We sow the seeds of not being a hypocrite. Bless God, brother. Hallelujah. Can you be who you are? Not a hypocrite. Insincerity. It means without without contradictions. 
honest affection without bias. An ability to love without hypocrisy. And an ability to love someone. Here we go. Say with me. An ability to love someone in spite of my disagreements. Do you know that? Jesus loves you. And he doesn't agree with everything about you. Do you know that? He doesn't agree with everything you think. He doesn't agree with everything you want. He doesn't agree with every, every behavior you have. But he loves you without hypocrisy. Ani kakrikros. And it means to love, to honor, without corrupt, without comparison. That's a big thing. We don't compare. We treat everyone with an equal value. Not because of their behavior, but because of the person that they are to the Lord. Even if, they're not a, even if they're not a believer, Jesus still has honor for them. He still has value for them. He's still blessed. He sends rain upon the just and the unjust, just so you know. It means without comparison, without condemnation, and without contradiction. And lastly, let me just finish with this. Say it with me. None of this is possible without the Holy Spirit. Can't do any of it. Can't do any of it. So take the burden off yourself. You're, the only burden the believer has, you know what the only belief burden we have? Walk in the Spirit. And that needs to be the operative question that we're asking. How do we walk in the spirit? We need to get in the spirit. We come into the spirit. And when we're in the spirit, God will show you and he'll show you how to sow these seeds. Some of you, these things naturally come out of you. You're naturally showing, sowing them. And some of you, when you're in the spirit, these are the things that actually are thrown from your hand and extended from you. What the Bible would do for you is he would be affirming that to you, that that is the right thing to do. You ever question whether or not it's the right thing to do? You ever question that? Should I do that? Should I do that? You know, like, especially in the spirit. Thank you, Natalie. So you ever question that? (laughs) Am I the only one? (laughs) But in the spirit, when God says it's, when God says yes, then you need to be affirming that that's what he wants. Let me just conclude. Let me just summarize it this way. We're given power. Say with me. I am given power to produce a kingdom. Say this. The kingdom has a throne that centers on Jesus. It's the throne of grace. That flows with righteousness and justice. And so we're say this. We're supposed to sow the seeds in the spirit, by the spirit. And in doing so, you know what happens when you start doing this? You change you. You change you. You get changed in the process. When you serve others, something changes within you. When you bless others, something changes within you. When you bless the Lord, something changes within you. The principle of the kingdom is emptying yourself. That's one of the king things. Paul says, I'm poured out like a drink offering. Was that to the Lord? No, that was for the service of the people. I'm not saying you extend yourself and you just break yourself. But the idea of the kingdom is that when you empty yourself, you make room for something else to fill. When we empty ourselves in worship to the Lord, he, we make room. When we empty ourselves to other people, we make room. But it's not only making room, it creates expansion. Anybody want expansion? You want spiritual upgrades? You want intellectual upgrades. You want upgrades of wisdom. You want all these upgrades. Upgrades are going to happen when you begin to operate with that. Amen? Amen. Well, I want to just conclude with this really quickly. I just have a couple of minutes. But I know there are people that watch this live stream and you don't know Jesus. There may be someone here in this room that doesn't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, the Bible says that you're lost. The Bible says that you're hopeless and you're helpless and you cannot save yourself. And if you die tonight or you die today, that you are in the state of you, when you transfer into eternity, you will not, you will be lost and there's no hope for you. And if you Bible, but the Bible says this, that every single person has sinned, 
All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person cannot reach heaven. Say, if I die tonight, I think I'm going to go to heaven. How do you know? Well, if I go down to South Beach and I jump off the pier, I think I can make it to the Bahamas. That's the equivalent of trying to make it to heaven on your own. You can't do it. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are, si- are separated. All of us are hopeless. And all of us are helpless. And, says, but the, the, and the wages of that sin is death or eternal separation. But the gift of God is life in Christ Jesus. Life. And then it tells us how to get that life. That if you believe in your heart and you say it with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that he's risen from the dead. You'll be saved. And say, well, that's it? Yes, that's it. It's like an elevator that takes you to the top floor. Didn't cost you anything, but it cost somebody a lot of money to put that elevator in. It cost Jesus a lot of money to make it possible for people to get saved simply by taking a step. He paid with everything he had. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I'll come in and I'll I'll commune with you. The door is your heart. No one can open your heart but you. So we're going to pray and you guys all pray with me. And if you're here this morning and you're watching my live stream and you don't know Jesus, today's your day. If you're watching with live stream and there's other people in the living room and you're afraid that somebody is going to watch you pray, you're embarrassed. Every single person will stand before Christ by themselves. All of us will. We won't stand with our friends. We won't stand with our neighbors. We will stand before him alone. And Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the father. But if you deny me before men, you, I will deny before the father. There's no such thing as a closet Christian. The Christian is called to wear armor and not camouflage. You have to come out and be separate. So if even if you're sitting in a room and you feel like you're the only one, you're, you feel like I'm going to be isolated. If you're sitting with other people, and I want those other people to pray with you. I want them to pray with you. So we do here at Elevate. We pray with them. They're not alone. We're a family. We're praying with you. And so we're going to lead and we're going to close it in a prayer. And if that's you, just pray with us. Jesus will do all the work. Just say this, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the savior and I need a savior. I don't understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. Here it is. All that I am, I give to you in all that you are. I receive his mind. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you if you yeah, come on. Yeah. Right on. If you did that, send us an email, elevate Miami Church at Gmail. We honor you, we bless you, and wait, one more blessing. Come on, open up your hearts. God is good. May the Lord, I want you to just let it come upon you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a wonderful week. Amen.